things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that verse say to you? This is a very powerful verse, a very powerful promise from God. This verse assures us that God is watching over us, and God is very interested in our lives. He is not gone. He hasn't abandoned us. He is not disinterested like the deists say. This verse assures us that God eventually brings good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Even when it doesn't seem like he's there, he is. And even when it seems like he has left us, he hasn't. This is the story of Naomi. wonder this morning, do you live with a faith that counts on God to show up? Do you live with a faith that counts on God to do what he has promised here in Romans 8, 28, verses like it? Do you live in the confidence that God is ultimately going to cause good to come out of your life, even with all the bad that sometimes goes on? And does that confidence then keep you connected to God even in the hard times of life. This kind of faith was demonstrated to me recently by Dr. John Paul. He's a missionary that we support in India. Many of you have met him before when he's been here. Has been here for a few years, but uh, hopefully he'll be here even next Sunday because he's been in America for about two weeks. The reason being that early in October, he was planning on getting cataract surgery. He has a medical mission in India. He does a lot of surgeries on people, especially cataract surgery. And now his eyes have been covered over. And he's getting ready to have that cataract surgery. But two days before that, he fell. And he fell on this huge glass jar. And it shattered. And it just ripped open his right arm, his dominant arm, arm that he operates with, cut through the muscle, through the tendons, possibly through nerves. We don't know what all the damage was. And they had to quickly stop the bleeding. He could have bled to death very easily. He's diabetic and other things going on there, heart problems. But he survived. And a couple days later, then they did surgery and hopefully reattached everything. We don't really know that they got everything. But his children here in America were so concerned about him that two of them flew to India and flew him back so he could get better care in America. But when they get here, they really don't have a lot of money. They're very poor. And so they called or got in contact with the church, and they said, we have people in the church, people we know that may be able to provide some of the services medically he needs, free or discounted or whatever. Two of our ladies stepped up, uh, Kamala and Jenna, and got his sutures removed and rebandaged everything for him. And a few days later, Barbara Almond and her church as a physical therapist, she got involved, and, and she started helping him figure out just what use he has of that hand and working through the healing process for the scar tissue and and everything there and has worked with him a couple of times. Now she's bought him a special brace that has a little rubber band thing that pulls his hand back, his fingers, so that he can actually grab things because that's the function he's missing, missing. And hopefully that nerve will eventually grow back together and all that. But what I saw was a man depending on God, a man trusting God. And we got this email from him just this week, and it said, uh, thank you, by the grace of God and by your prayers, I'm feeling better pain in my right hand has come down. Today is the first time after six months that my blood sugar level has become normal. Praise the Lord. I'm waiting very anxiously to meet you again when our sister Barbara gets ready to fix the stabilizer on my hand. When she was treating me, giving me my physiotherapy, I felt that our Lord only sent his angel to treat me. So Barb's an angel now. You have to call her Angel Barbara now from now on. And uh, he treated me without any fees in the USA. He's expecting hundreds of dollars for these kinds of things, maybe thousands. And after coming to our daughter's home, God gave me an opportunity to read the book of James, chapter 2, 
verse 27. I read the last verse uh, again and again. And basically, I looked up the verse that he's referring to, and it's a reverse that says, religion that God counts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then he continued, and he said, this is the kind of ministry we do. We minister to the poorest people in the world, and now you have ministered to me. And now God has brought you to a place where you could do for me what I could not do for myself. Please continue to pray for us. It's obvious that Dr. Paul believes that God is in his life, and God is working even through something as tragic as this and maybe ruining the whole ministry that he has in India, all of the medical work he does, all of the lives that he, he uh, impacts there for Christ, and God is working. God is going to achieve something here. He, is, he has turned over the outcomes of all of this to God. He's just trusting God to take care of it. Well, as you know from the chapter 9 of the story, if you've read that, this is a book about Ruth. It's basically the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters in the Bible, one of the shortest books we have. This is a chapter or story about Naomi and Ruth. Probably more about Naomi in some ways. Here is this Israelite woman during the time of the judges, which we studied last week with Gideon, who is in desperate times. She and her husband Elimelech are in Bethlehem, and there's a famine. And so they're trying to figure out how they're going to provide for their family, especially for their two sons that are probably teenagers maybe. And they decide the only way to continue surviving is to move to Moab, which was an enemy territory east of the Jordan River. And so they make this difficult move. They go and they live among the Moabites. They find a place to live. They begin to work and so on. And suddenly her husband dies. And Naomi is left there with her sons who can work and maybe provide a little income and she doesn't know what to do. They don't go back to Bethlehem. Still, the famine is there. They stay in Moab. Eventually, they marry two Moabite women, which they normally would not have done. That was actually against their law for Israelites to do that. But in desperate times, people do desperate things. The sons get married to Moabite women, and Ruth and Orpah are their names. And then the sons die. Both sons die, just as their father had. So within a space of maybe a dozen years or so, Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons, and she and her two daughters there, and in a male-dominated society, it is not easy for a woman to live, especially when you're on foreign turf, you don't own any property. So she determines she's going to go back to Bethlehem. They are experiencing the greatest losses that anybody could experience, and she's got to do something. She hears that Bethlehem is now has food. Famine is over. And she determines to go back, and she has her daughters-in-law kind of in tow, but she realizes, you really shouldn't go with me. They're not going to welcome Moabite women. And besides, your families are here, and she begs them to stay. Well, Orpah decides to stay, but Ruth determines she's going to go with Naomi, and she's going to do everything she can to help her mother-in-law through these desperate times. And she expresses one of the most beautiful expressions of devotion ever included anywhere, and here in the Bible itself, it is this saying. She says, don't urge me to leave you. Don't urge me to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. When they arrive, Naomi's husband's family is delighted to see her again. But she is so bitter that when they say, could this possibly be Naomi? 
She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. That's who I am now because God has abandoned me. God's hand is against me. She says, God, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Look at my life. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Like others, she assumes that the trouble in her life, all of it has come from God, and she becomes bitter. She loses her hope. The only thing she can do is return home and hope that somebody in the family has enough kindness to give her a place to live and take pity on her. Well, whether God brought any of Naomi's troubles on her or not, we don't know. The Bible doesn't comment. He may have. He may have been trying to discipline Elimelech, her husband, and her for moving to enemy territory rather than trusting God in Bethlehem. He may have been trying to get them to wake up to realize through their circumstances what he was doing, that he was there to put some more trust in him. I don't know. But what I do know is that God wanted her and wants all of us to seek him, to trust him, and then to obey whatever he wants us to do. That's all God has ever wanted. He wants us to seek him, to trust him, and to obey him. As I read the book of Ruth again, several phrases were popping out at me, things that that I didn't always notice before, some I did. When she says, the Lord's hand is against me, it's gone out against me, I thought, man, that's, that's an awful place to live. And then I saw Ruth saying to her, your, your people will be my people, your God, my God. And I thought, that is extreme loyalty, extreme devotion, how remarkable that is. But then there was one phrase that stuck out in my mind, I thought, this is the turning point. This is where the story changes. This is the point at which we realize the lights go on for Naomi. And the phrase is simply this. It's in chapter 2, verse 3. As it turned out. As it turned out. Because things change after that. Getting back to Bethlehem at the time of the harvest, Ruth sets out to do whatever she can to help. And there's the time when the harvest is going on and they have this, this policy that the poor could be taken care of as the workers go through the field and they're cutting off the sheaves and they're gathering them up. Anything that falls behind, they don't go back and gather that. They just let it lie in the field. And then the poor were allowed, the widows, the, the poor people of the land, were allowed to go through and gather those things up, and that's how they got their food, and that's how they made their living. And God intentionally set it up that way. So Ruth goes out there knowing that that's the practice, and Naomi says, go out there and get what you can. She goes out to the field, and as it turned out, she shows up at Boaz's field. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She doesn't know whose field it is. But that's the field she randomly picks. And it turns out that this Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers. He's one of the ones who could redeem them, who could save their lives, really, and be a blessing that God would use. As it turned out, Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And Boaz treats her with unusual kindness and respect and compassion when he finds out that she is Naomi's daughter-in-law. That night, when Ruth comes home and tells Naomi whose field it is, she says, oh, I see what's going on here. In a few days, she sends back Ruth to the threshing uh, place where, where they were going to celebrate the harvest. All the men were going to gather. The harvest is over. It's been a good harvest. Let's have a big party and celebrate. And all the men are gathering. She says, you go down there and you clean up and, and you dress up and you go down there and you wait in the darkness for Boaz until he finally lays down. He's tired. He's going to go down for the night there at the threshing field. And, and so she does. And this is totally legitimate. This is not what it sounds like. This is not as seductive as it sounds. When he lays down for the night, you're to go up and lay down at his feet, and you're to pull some of his covering over onto you. And, and, and 
when he notices you, responds to you, you tell him that he's your kinsman redeemer. And what you're doing is you're going to announce, you're going to tell him that you're available for marriage. You're available if he's interested, if he's willing to do this. The kinsman redeemer was a brother or a close relative. And when a man would die, leaving his wife childless, this was a way that God continued the family name. The brother or the cousin or the close relative would marry the widow and add that wife. Maybe if he had another wife or didn't have a wife, she would become his wife. And any children they have that firstborn would be the heir to the father's property, the father who had died. That's what the kinsman redeemer was. And so in a very respectful way, she goes to Boaz. Boaz receives her and recognizes her and exercises his right to become the kinsman redeemer at great cost to himself. He was probably an older man. She was a younger woman. He maybe had never married or maybe he was now a widower. And he takes her in and he has to buy all of Naomi's property at the same time, probably hurting his own estate in order to do that because it was not his land. It was going to be Naomi's descendants' land. He and Ruth get married. They have a child, and the property passed on to this child. How could Boaz take in this foreigner? Well, because Boaz himself knew about being the outsider. If you go to the book of Matthew chapter 1, you read the genealogy of Jesus, and you find out that Boaz came from where? He's the son of Rahab. Remember Rahab? Rahab was the harlot back in Jericho. That When they destroyed Jericho, she put her faith in God and they saved her. They protected her. And she became part of the family of Israel. She married an Israelite man and their child was named Boaz. And Boaz is now in Bethlehem. And he is the husband, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. What an interesting thing God was doing through generations. That's not the end of the good news. Because they had a son named Obed, and Obed grew up, and he had a son named Jesse. And Jesse grew up, and he had a son named David, the second king of Israel. Twenty-eight generations later, they're still in Bethlehem, and there's another son born to this family in Bethlehem. His name was Jesus. So when you read through Matthew 1, you find two women's names there that you don't really expect to see there. You find Rahab, the harlot, and you find Ruth, the Moabitess, all in the lineage of Jesus, the Son of God. God did an amazing thing in responding to the faith of this foreign woman, Ruth, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. He did an even a more amazing thing when he sent Jesus into the world 28 generations later to be our kinsman redeemer for all time. He is all of us, our redeemer. He's our brother who came to save us, to rescue us. He stepped in when we had failed. He still steps in when we come up short or when we get beaten down by the circumstances of life. His wing covers us when we cannot fend for ourselves. This word wing, got to explain that. When Ruth goes to Boaz, threshing floor, and she asks him to cover with part of that garment, that word garment means wing. And so she's saying, put me under your protection. Bring me underneath your wing. Spread your wing over me and, and save my life. And Jesus, as our Redeemer, certainly covers us with his wing and with his blood. And our forgiveness is made possible in him. So in the lower story, 
Ruth and Naomi are provided a way to survive, a perfect way to find happiness and protection in God again. But in the upper story, God is working things toward bringing His Son into the world who would redeem that whole world. Beginning of our story, Naomi lost all hope. She lost her idea that things were going to work out. She finally became depressed, discouraged to the point that she said, change my name because my life is bitter. It will always be bitter. I see no hope for the future. Hope is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Hope is a life-giving thing. Hope is something we can't live without, at least not for long. Without hope, I don't know how anybody can keep going on. If they think that their situation is hopeless, they just kind of shrivel up inside and then they eventually die on the outside. And this morning, there may be someone here who feels like your life is hopeless. And maybe even inside, you're becoming a little bit bitter about that. And you're starting to to feel like, how can this possibly work out? How can God possibly do anything for me? And maybe you even feel like, Naomi, that God has abandoned you. In fact, God has brought all this bitterness on you, that God is somehow against you. I want to assure you this morning, through this story, He is not. And he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. And he has a plan for you. If your personal situation today seems hopeless and seems bitter, then take heart in this story of Naomi and Ruth. If illness has gotten you down, maybe you were injured and you're not recovering from that injury. Maybe your family has gone through some great loss. Maybe you've lost somebody you love. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost something else of value in your home, in your family. Maybe your family is just all broken up right now and people are not getting along and the situation is not working out. I don't know what your personal circumstances may be, but I want you today to know that God is saying take heart because there is hope. As long as you are true to God, as long as you're following God, as long as you're seeking God, as long as you're trusting God, then God is going to work that out. Romans 8.28 promises that. He is going to bring good to you. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That is the promise of God. So it doesn't matter how desperate your situation has become, it is not too desperate for God to do something, for God to fix it, for God to bring healing and hope to you. Isn't hope what this church is about? Isn't that one of the big reasons why we chose the name New Hope? Because people today are hopeless. People today are disillusioned. People today are discouraged because they don't see things getting any better in our economy. They don't see things getting any better in our country. They don't see life getting easier but more difficult year by year. But God wants them to know that there is hope. And if they will turn to God as we have turned to God, they will find that hope because God has provided our Redeemer. We are offering a free Thanksgiving dinner in a couple of weeks, two weeks from Thursday. And there are going to be a bunch of people come in here that are hopeless. Not all of them, but some of them will be. Some of them will be just kind of fed up with the whole thing. They've lost a place to live. They've lost their income. They've lost maybe family members. They've lost a lot of different things. And they're going to come here beaten down. They're going to come here discouraged. And I hope that many of us will show up on that day, not just to serve food, not just to pass out clothing, all of which are good things, and I'm so glad we're doing that. It's the opportunity then to be with them, to spend time with them. Some of you may come down here and not even hand out anything. You'll just sit down and eat with the people. 
You'll just sit down and get to know them and visit with them and find out their story and hear what their life is about and hear their perspective and hear their attitude and try and give them a little bit of glimmer of hope, a little bit of light for their life. That'll be the most powerful thing that happens that day, that we could convey some of this hope that God wants to give to his people. And all people are part of, of his, his family. You don't have to be in the right race. You don't have to be in the right nation. You don't have to be in the right ethnic group. None of that matters to God because we're all his children. He wants to redeem all of us, and he wants to give us all hope. But before we can do that, two and a half weeks from now, we need to acknowledge our own brokenness, and that's hard to do. We need to acknowledge that some of us are messed up, aren't we all? We need to acknowledge our desperation. We need to acknowledge our brokenness. We need God's help as much as anyone else. And we need to seek him with all of our heart. We need to trust him that he has a plan. And we need to obey whatever we know he wants us to do. God said to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul concluded, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's what Paul learned. That's what we must learn. Through our weakness, through our frailty, through our brokenness, God does some amazing things. And his power shows up. And his power changes lives. I want to invite you this morning to come up for a special prayer time today. We're just going to kind of group around here. Anybody that wants to come up for prayer. And I want to invite you to do that. If you are experiencing or someone close in your family are experiencing illness, injury, uh, something that is a physical thing that's really plaguing you, you're not even sure what it is yet, you're not sure what they're going to do about it, or, or maybe it's just going to be this battle that's going to go on for a period of time in your life, maybe the rest of your life here on earth, would you come up here so we can pray with you? Pray, bring that before God. Here I am physically. These are the things I'm challenged with, and I, I, I want to pray about that. We'll go on to some other things, but let's start there. Anybody has a physical challenge? Would you come up? David, thank you. Darlene, great. Anyone else? Just come on up here. I'm not going to call everybody out by name, but just come on up here, and we're going to pray with you. If there's somebody here today that has suffered loss, could be any kind, could be... Uh, loss of a family member, it could be loss of a job, could be loss of income, uh, could be you know, something like that. Would you come up here? And, and we're going to pray together. We may end up with everybody up here, I don't know. Uh, if you are someone that, that is going through a trial right now, and it's threatening to overcome you, maybe, maybe this trial, this test, this trouble in your life, maybe is, is so great that you're not sure where you're going to go, what you're going to do with that. You're just going to seek God and say, God, I trust you that you're going to do something about this. I don't know what it is. I don't know how we're going to get through this. If you have something like that going on in your family, somebody you're concerned about, maybe not even your personal experience, you're just concerned, would you come up? If you feel like you're broken in any way, here's where it's going to get all of us. <laughs> Are you broken or do you have it all together? If you feel brokenness, if you feel like God has something yet to do in your life, something to fix, something to mend, something to build up and strengthen in your life. Would you come up and pray with us this morning? Let's invite you up. And if you feel like you're growing bitter, if you feel like you're getting hopeless, if you feel like 
this is starting to get to you. This is starting to, to overwhelm you. Whatever you're facing, just come up here and pray. Would you all just face around this? I don't want everybody else kind of looking at you. Uh, I, I don't want you to feel comfortable. I don't want you to think about anybody else. Anybody else want to come and join us? Come on up here, and uh, we're going to pray together. If you just want to come up here and support somebody, you're just dying to come up and hug them. <laughs> Do that. These people really only represent a small percentage of people in this community that are going through trials. And some of these are very significant things that you know about. Some you have no idea. It doesn't really matter because God knows every life and God knows what you're going through. And maybe for some reason you're sitting there and you should be up here. I don't know. You can still pray. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's trust him. And let's obey and let's pray together. Father, uh, in, in humility, in brokenness, we come before you. I acknowledge, Lord, my own brokenness. I acknowledge the wayward thoughts I, I have. I acknowledge uh, things that I do as mistakes that, that I just forget and I, I mess up. All of us can acknowledge that today. I acknowledge, Lord, that my brothers and sisters here are struggling in various ways. And I just want to bring them before you. Some of them have uh, debilitating physical problems. Um, they don't even know the diagnosis yet. They don't know what treatment may be available. Uh, they're still looking for a lot of answers there. Or maybe they do know, and the word is not good from the doctor's prognosis is that this is going to go on for a while, maybe the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would give them that trust that they need in you day by day, moment by moment as, as they face this. The uncertainty of that, the waiting is very, very difficult. Lord, for those that have experienced loss, I know that that, that loss is painful. I know that it is, is difficult to deal with, and yet I know that you are greater than that. And your grace is sufficient for that. For those that have uh, trials and troubles going on that, that threaten to overwhelm them, I pray that your, your uh, strength would be upon them, that you would give them the, the wherewithal just to get through another day and then tomorrow face another day. And to not borrow trouble from the future and to try and take it all in, in one, one giant leap, but to just go moment by moment, day by day, and may you give them the grace and strength they need for that, Lord. Where there are family problems, where there are people at odds with each other, where, where there's uh, uh, situations out in the community where somebody is, is, uh, somebody is uh, abusing somebody or misusing them, or, or maybe the people are at odds when there's really no reason for that, uh, that things need to be worked out and that bitterness needs to be taken away. I pray that you would move in a powerful way, Lord, in those relationships. And I pray that the parties involved would seek your heart and that they would trust you to work out good from this. Not, not to predict the future, a negative future for that, but to trust you for a positive future. And I pray for healing. I pray for restoration and reconciliation. 
Uh, Lord, I, I know that so many of these situations are beyond our control. We, we cannot make things happen, but you certainly can. And your Holy Spirit can pave the way into someone's heart, even convicting someone that is uh, rebellious and someone that is against you at this moment, uh, so that through your tenderness and through your kindness, your compassion, uh, that you bring them home. Lord, I pray for a Thanksgiving dinner. We have a lot of work yet to do on that, volunteers to continue getting. And I pray that beyond just getting workers, we would be developing the heart that we need for that day. As hopeless, despondent people come in here, uh, some without any place to live, some without proper uh, warm clothing and, and uh, uh, just a place to face the winter in, some without jobs, some with broken families and broken lives. I pray that we would be a beacon of hope to them. Not that we have it together, not that we would be condescending or we would be above them, but that we would just share our common brokenness and we would turn to you together and they would see their hope not in us, not in this church, but their hope in you. You alone can be their hope. You alone can be their redeemer. And we pray that we would just be the, the people you use for that. And we would be able to stir up within them some hope for the future in you. Lord, we seek your heart together. We trust your heart. We know that you're going to cause good to come into our lives, even through our troubles. And we seek to be obedient, to be loyal to you, uh, to be true to you in every way as we trust you for your plan. We pray for your blessing on these that have come up front and everyone else here today. In Jesus' name.